This morning, we go back to the book of Nehemiah just one more time. We've been in a series of messages entitled Building a Community of Faith. Building a Community of Faith. That's been our theme as we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. Um, This morning, our message is entitled actually Living as a Community of Faith. And I want you to turn with me to start um, Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, I want to read for us verses 15 and 16 as we begin this morning. And so the Bible says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of of our God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's pray. And so, Father, we do thank you for your word today, and I pray, God, that you would use it to speak into our lives, to plant a seed in our hearts, and help us to understand better what it means to go on to live as your people, as this community of faith. So bless your word to us, and may you be honored through it, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, our message is entitled this morning, living as a community of faith. And so the work of rebuilding the wall was done, we might say, in record time, 52 days. That which had been a pile of rubble for 140 years was put back together in less than two months. Under the leadership of Nehemiah and through the partnership and cooperation of the people, and in spite of all kinds of attacks, both from within and without, The walls were back up, walls that represented the safety and security and well-being of God's people. Well, we've said that the rebuilding of the walls of Nehemiah's time can represent for us the building or even rebuilding of a community of faith, even one such as ours, a community that is meant to be a blessing to its people, to bring blessing to our world, especially through the preaching of the gospel and to bring glory to God. And so we've talked about how as we have faced and continue to face the effects of this pandemic that struck our nation and our world, that churches like ours um, here in New Jersey, across America, and really churches around our world find themselves right now in the midst of rebuilding. This is a time for us, you see, as a church to pull together and to rebuild the walls that we might be, as as time goes on, that we might be the church that God has intended for us to be. Well, as we look at these final chapters of the book of Nehemiah, we want to ask and answer the question, what are the essentials? What are the essentials for living and functioning as a community of faith? What building blocks need to be put into place if we're going to be the church that God intends for us to be and if we're going to move forward into the future as God would have us to? Is it about having a bunch of programs in place so we can, we can have a really busy schedule and we can have lots of stuff happening and keep everyone busy? Is it about having high energy or emotionally charged services? Is it any of the things that we, we've kind of thought, well, oh yeah, that's, that's my church, or that's what church is supposed to be. What will the necessary ingredients be for us if we're going to function long-term 
as a strong community of faith. Now, I just want to note that we've already spoken in, in some of our past messages, we've already spoken about our need for faith and focus. We've spoken about each person finding their place in the work of building, and most especially last week we spoke about our need for love and for unity among the believers, and all of those things are essential building blocks for us. So I don't want to repeat those points today, as important as they are. But as we look at these final chapters in the book of Nehemiah, I want us to see what we might consider to be three building blocks that will cause our wall to stand firm, three building blocks that will keep us moving in the right direction and and functioning the way God would have us to, whatever form life and ministry might take in the days to come. And I'm convinced, as are many others, that as we move forward, things are going to look a little different. Even after the pandemic's over, its effects are not going to go away. And some of the things that, that we have seen happen and some new ways of ministry are going to stick with us. So like the forms may look a little bit differently as we move forward, and yet the building blocks must be in place. Building block number one, if you look with me in Nehemiah chapter eight, but building block number one is this, the word of God, the word of God. Can you just say amen to that? Come on, those of you who are online, can you say amen? Building block number one, the word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, we read these words. That all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That is all the children who could comprehend, right? And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. If we go to verse 7, we, we, we read there of how the Levites, they and I won't name them all, but how the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And then it says, verse 8, they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. You see, we read of how once the walls were completed, the people gathered to dedicate the walls and dedicate themselves to God. And so a high wooden platform was built, and Ezra the priest began to read the law, that is the word of God, to the people. You see, Ezra and Nehemiah, I believe, they knew that this was the starting point if they were to now go on to live as God's people, as a true community of faith. That God's word would be a building block upon which everything else they did as a community would have to stand. In verse 8, you notice we, we read there that the scriptures from which Ezra was reading, well, they were actually written in Hebrew, but the people, you see, they didn't speak Hebrew any longer. They spoke Aramaic. Remember, they had come back from exile in Babylon. So they spoke Aramaic, and thus the words that Ezra read had to be translated and then explained to the people. And you see, here we have the beginning of the use of a model in which a biblical text is read and then explained. Right? It's In a sense, this is where our own modern-day preaching and teaching, even, even as I'm doing now, this is where it all, it all begins. This is where it comes about. 
right? Where the word of God is read, and then it's explained in the, this case, the language of the people. You see, preaching, and I want to highlight this for us this morning, that preaching was never meant to, first of all, come from the headlines of the day. Right? You don't come to church for me to just kind of repeat the news that you heard early this morning and expound on it. Nor was preaching meant to come from the preacher's favorite topics. The task of preaching was never meant to be more self-help advice or a new set of rules for successful living. Rather, preaching and teaching is supposed to begin with God's word and then an explanation and application of it to our lives. Do we understand that? And so we hear, we have here Ezra reading God's word to the people and the Levites taking time to interpret and explain it so that the people could understand. You see, the building block was being put into place. And I just want to say this morning that we ought never minimize the place of God's word among us as his people. As our doctrinal statements say that the Bible, the scriptures, is our rule of faith and conduct. For the scriptures trump experience, tradition, cultural norms, society's ways of doing things, our own natural wisdom and so forth. For it's through God's word, the Bible, that we learn who God is, the way of salvation, why Jesus came, the way the Holy Spirit works, and how it is we as God's people are supposed to live our lives. You see, the scriptures is the starting point. It's the building block upon which everything else must be put in place. And so the Bible must always be front and center. Do you agree with that this morning? Come on. Do you agree with that church? The Bible has to remain front and center to all we do as a church, as well as within our individual lives. That's why it's so important for us to read it, to study it, to learn how, how it's meant to be applied to our lives. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God... How many servants of God do we have here today? Come on, it's not just the pastor... So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The psalmist wrote, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Do you want to know which way to go? Do you, do you need some light shed on your path? Go to God's word. And Psalm 19 says this, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than Honey from the honeycomb, by them your servant is warned. Sometimes we need warning in our lives, right? And in keeping them, there's great reward. And I just want to say this morning that if we're to live as God's people, we will need to put the building block of God's word into place. What does that mean for you? What, what can you do? Well, for one, be sure to read the Bible on a regular basis. I mean, don't just wait till you come to church and and the pastor or someone reads it for you. Read the word of God. Read the Bible on a regular basis. Be part of a, a, of a class or a study group that can help you process and apply the Bible to your life. Like the Levites were doing. The people were there with the Levites and they were explaining the word so the people could understand it better and apply it to their lives. Be part of a class. Be part of a study group. And pay attention to the preaching of God's word. 
right? Don't just, just don't make it, you know, the thing where you, you come to church and so you kind of like, well, I got to be in that preaching setting, but, you know, your mind is thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, you know, what we're going to do this afternoon. But pay attention. I'll tell you what, I just love to see people who are taking notes, right? Because it means they're paying attention, right? When I go into different settings, very often I like to take notes because it causes me to concentrate. In just uh, another week or so, each one who's part of First Assembly of God is going to receive in the mail um, a Bible reading plan that we put together to take us through the Christmas season. Some call it the Advent season. It's going to take you from December 1st through December 25th. And, and um, with that Bible reading plan, you're going to see there, there, there's a question, something for you to look in the text at and something for you to pray about. And then with that plan, is you, it'll also be online, digitally, and so forth. You'll get emails about that. There's going to be a link for every day of that Bible reading plan. We've put together um, a two-minute video, devotional video for you. So every day, you have a chance to kind of really focus in on that piece of God's word. Right? And we're doing this. Why? Because, for one, as pastor, I believe it's good for us to be reading together as a church at times. Just like the people here. They were, they were hearing the word of God together, right? They were reading it together. It's good for us to get our focus on the real reason for the season, especially this year, right? right? And so many things going on, and we get so busy, and we lose focus. By, by diving into the word of God together, we, we, we focus on what this season is really all about. And for some of us, this might be your opportunity to develop the habit of reading God's word on your own so that when we're done with this plan, that you're going to keep on reading God's word and looking to apply it to your lives. And so, listen, we as a community of faith, we will need to do our best to always keep the word of God front and center to all we are, to all that we do. It's a building block upon which everything else must stand. But I want you to go with me as well to Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. I'm going to see that building block number 2 is this. It is prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. And we read this in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, that on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting, on, and putting dust on their heads. In other words, they were going through a time of repentance Uh, for their many, many failures. But those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. And standing on the stairs of the Levites were, and there's a list of names there, but it says they cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, another list of names, said, stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. And so in verse number four, we're told that the people, they spent a quarter of the day listening to the reading of the scriptures, And then another quarter of the day in prayer, in this case, mostly confession and worship. And as the you see, as the people heard the word of God and considered all that God had done for them as a people, they they knew they just had to respond. 
For listen, church, prayer and worship were never meant to be a mere obligation or routine through which we go on a daily or weekly basis. Prayer and worship are meant to be so much more than a spiritual discipline, although at times it does take discipline. But prayer and worship are meant to be our response to God, a constant and continual response. Even when we think of Paul's words, to pray without ceasing. How do we do that? We're constantly responding to God's work in our lives. Prayer and worship are meant to be, a, meant to be an outflow of our relationship with him. And so we pray repenting of sin, seeking God's favor and intervention in our lives as we realize how much we need him to work in our lives. We pray as we come to understand that he is our good heavenly father. And even as we sang earlier that we are his children, we pray as we realize our failures and the grace that God makes available to us. We don't just pray because we have to. We pray because we believe it's a privilege to come before the throne of God, before God our heavenly father and express both our failures and our needs oh the writer to the hebrews wrote this let us then approach god's throne of grace with confidence why so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need how many of us need time and again poured into our lives the mercy and the grace of god Oh, it gets poured. It all comes to us through prayer. You see, our prayers are our expression of faith in God, in his love for us, his mercy that's available to us, his desire to take care of us as his children. And we worship. So we give thanks to God for his blessings. We honor him for who he is. We give him praise, the praise that he deserves. In worship, we respond to the character of God. We show gratitude for the work of God. We express our faith in him as the God who is over. Over all things, as we lift up his name and no matter what's going on in our lives, we say, God, I praise you for I know that you are good and your mercies endure forever and ever. And listen, read through the prayers of the men and women of Scripture. Those prayers always include words of thanksgiving and praise. They always include worship. Why? For worship and prayer cannot and ought not be separated from one another. They go hand in hand. They are equal parts of our our response to God, our Heavenly Father. We just don't come asking him and begging him, God, I want this, and God, I need that. But, But we come to him in worship. We don't demand of him, but we thank him. We express the fact that we love him. It's in prayer and worship. Needs to always be front and center within our lives as believers and within the community of faith. It's a, a building block upon which everything else is built, right? Whatever form that might take. Listen, there are lots of churches around us, good churches that are preaching the gospel, and they, they may pray a little differently from us. They might worship a little differently. Their songs might be different, right? But ultimately, it comes from a heart that's looking to respond to God. And so as, as people come into the walls of this community of faith, right, they ought to be struck, as with any community of faith, they ought to be struck with the fervency of the prayers being praised and the heartfelt worship that's lifted up as people just naturally respond to, to who they know God is and to his work within their lives. And they begin to sense like, well, these people, they're not just going through routine and ritual and just trying to put in their time. Right, but And these are people who really know what it means to respond to God. And so undergirding all that we do, we have the word of God and we have prayer and worship. 
And block number three, if you go to chapter 10 with me, is trying to figure out like the best word to use here. And, and the best word that I could come up with is the word holiness. Block number three would be holiness. And go with me, chapter 10, verse 28. We're going to kind of skip through a portion of the scripture here, but it says that the rest of the people and the priests and Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. They go on to say, we pray promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us and to take their or take their daughters for our sons. And when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. Verse 32, and we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. I'm going to skip down to verse 37 where we read, moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests and the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all of our trees, our new wine and olive oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops, of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. And they go on to speak about the tithe there. And, and, and at the very end of this, of this chapter, they say, and we will not neglect the house of our God. You see, after reading the reading of God's word and a time of prayer and worship, the next response of the people was to enter into a covenant, actually renewing their covenant with God and with one another. You see, it was a promise that they were making to live the way God had called them to live, to live their lives in a very distinct way, to live their lives very differently from the other nations, the other peoples around them. And you see, ultimately... That's what holiness is all about. For holiness, bottom line is simply this. It is living life God's way. Living life God's way. For the giving of the law was God's call to his people, not to just follow a set of rules and regulations, but to live in a way that reflected his character in a way that reflects the principles of his kingdom, in a way that would demonstrate to the world what it means to be God's people. That's why God had said to his people, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That is, they were to live their lives in a very distinct way, in, in, in the way that God would have them to live. And for them specifically, we read here in this chapter, this meant not intermarrying with the nations around them. It meant keeping the Sabbath. It meant bringing their tithes and offerings before the Lord. And there's lessons there for us to learn. But of course, we know there was more in the law than even what's listed here. But this is what the people focused on at this time, for it seems that these were some of the areas wherein they easily fell short. There are areas that we easily fall short, isn't it? The way, you know, we... We connect with the world and we compromise so easily with the world around us. Um, we don't really like putting aside time, right, a day 
to focus on God and, and worship him. And we just continue to allow other things to creep into our lives. And well, tithes and offerings, you know, um, you know, I just heard, I don't know if you know the Christian community, uh, the Christian comedian, Michael Jr. And he was at a church. If you haven't heard him yet, you should, you should look him up on YouTube, right? But um, he, he was at a church. He said something about, um, about the tithe. And he goes, oh, if, if you're not giving your tithe, that doesn't mean you're not giving to the Lord. It means you're stealing. You're stealing from the Lord. Because the Bible says the tithe belongs to the Lord. Maybe if you have some questions about what it means to tithe, you can contact myself, one of the pastors, one of our leaders. But, but it's a principle that comes out of Scripture that um, even we ourselves today, we easily want to put to the side. Um, in fact, later on in the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 13, we read that after this point, Nehemiah, he left Jerusalem to go back home to Susa for a period of 12 years, back to his home, back to his work there. And then he comes back to Jerusalem. Now it's 12 years later. And even though the people had made this, 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 this covenant here, 12 years later, they had already begun to compromise on just about each one of these points. They'd begun to marry far, foreign women. They failed to keep the Sabbath and so forth. Even the high priest had allowed one of his sons to marry the daughter of Sanballat the Horonite, that is one of the enemies of the Jewish people listed earlier in the book. And Nehemiah has to then, again, 12 years later, he again has to call God's people back to God's standard, back to obedience and holiness. You see, here's the point. God's people and the community of faith will never fully be what God intends for us to be, nor accomplish what God has purposed for us to accomplish if we continue to live like the nations, the peoples around us. There ought to be something very distinct about our lives. And that doesn't mean that we have to dress in some weird way, you know? Like, I, I don't mean to pick on anyone, but, you know, the Amish and some others, they have it in their head. Well, if I'm going to be holy before God, i got to dress in all black, right? I don't think that's what God's calling us to. It doesn't mean that we have to use Christianese when we talk, you know. I'm sorry, I get a little tired when, you know, I tell people, wow, you know, I just had a, a, real, a really great run today. And they're like, oh, praise the Lord, thank God, you know, like they're jumping, you know, and like it just becomes like all this Christianese, you know. And everything you say, amen, praise the Lord, amen, praise the Lord, amen, praise the Lord, you know. Like, yeah. And it doesn't mean we have to deepen our voices when we pray out loud, like, dear God, help me, you know. You know, that's not holiness. We can all put that on. And it doesn't mean we can't enjoy life. You know, I know, remember growing up in the church, you kind of felt like, man, if I have any kind of pleasure in life, you know, I must be a sinner. And it doesn't mean, boy, I hate to say it this way, but it doesn't mean we have to follow the rules set out by the strictest person in the church. I grew up under that. That the person who held to the strictest standard, everyone else had to kind of follow their rules. But what does it mean? Here's what holiness really means among God's people. It means there's something very distinct about our lives that is something distinct about the way we respond to the world and the situations around us. There's something distinct about the way we, we respond to the people around us and react, react to those who would come against us. 
There's something distinct about the, the way we respond to those in need. And what it is we allow to come into our lives and flow out of our lives. Listen, that's what Jesus taught time and again, that it's not about the outward, but it's about what's on the inward. That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says to the Pharisees, listen, you have holiness all set on the outside, right? You're like this, but you're like this whitewashed tomb that's full of dead man's bones. Why? Because they thought that holiness was how I walk, how I talk, how I dress, and all those kind of things. But they failed to miss the heart of what God was calling them to. And our lives, our lives as, as followers of Jesus are meant to be markedly different. Why? Because of our relationship with God through Christ. And thus we live by means of a different set of priorities and we hold loosely to the material things of this world. And our pleasure is not found in merely feeding the flesh, but in that which is truly beautiful and pure. Our goal is not power, but service. Our love is not for ourselves, but for Christ and for others. And servanthood marks all that we do. We're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. I can't help but think that if a community of faith really lived in that way, that differently, so differently from the world around, not in a weird way, but in a good way, that the work of them them preaching the gospel and reaching the lost would be so much easier. Oh, I tend to think if we would allow our faith to really affect the way in which we live, we would see incredible things happen among us and through us to the glory of God. Amen. Yes, we're called to be a holy people, a people whose lives reflect the person of God whom we claim to serve. And so I want to encourage you today in your own personal life that there ought to be something very distinct about your life, something very different. Again, not in some weird way, but in a heartfelt way. As people get to know you, they will begin to understand that those who follow Jesus, that they are truly new creations, that old things have passed away. All things have become new. And our lives reflect the God whom we serve. Holiness, building block number three. You know, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, we read these words. That all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. Notice, they came together as one. It kind of reminds me of what we read in the book of Acts, does it not? Where it says that, that all the believers, they were constantly together, one in heart and mind. In verse 6 of Nehemiah 8, we read that Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen, and then they bowed and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice that, there was, that, that they were together. They, they came together as one, one in heart and mind, and then they, they worshiped together. They lifted their hands. You know what? They didn't come to church to, just to do their own thing, if we can put it that way. But they came to worship as one body, to hear the preaching of God's word, to to pray and to worship and to learn how it is they were to live as God's people. They did it as one body. And I'm reminded today that to live as a community of faith means coming together as one body, coming together as one people to hear the word of God, to pray and worship and and even to, to learn how to live and then live life together in a whole new way. 
Again, it's the model that we see in the New Testament that once we become part of of God's family, part of God's people, we join together with other believers. We can't just separate. And and I know that through this pandemic, you know, we've been we've been pretty much separated from one another. But that's not the way it was meant to be. And as we come through this pandemic and as we're able to open up more and more ministry and opportunities to join together church, we need to come together and, and together we, 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 we hear the preaching and the teaching of God's word. We pray and we worship together. We encourage each other and we live our lives together as one people. For we were never meant to just do our own thing, but we were meant to live as a community of faith. And so um, can it become... Um, Let's make sure, I want to make sure as pastor, that the right building blocks are being put into place. Amen, church? Come on, I want to make sure that the right building blocks are being put into place. For as we consider what it means to build and even rebuild a community of faith, I think we need to realize that until Jesus returns, the work will never really be done. That unlike the Jews of Nehemiah's day who were able to complete the rebuilding of the wall in 52 days, our work is not as straightforward and simple as just putting some bricks or stones in place. But for us, it's going to take a constant commitment to what God has called us to, a continual reliance upon him and an ongoing effort to work together to build the kind of community of faith that will bring blessing to to one another, to our fellow believers, that will minister blessing to our world through the preaching of the gospel and even the good works that we do, and ultimately to glorify God. And as we come through and out of this pandemic, hopefully sooner than later, and it seems like it's dragging on right now, right? But eventually we're going to come through. I'm believing for that. But as we come through, not everything we've done as a church will necessarily be the same. And I do believe that we've been learning some lessons about what is truly most essential to the life and ministry of of a church. And it could be that some of the things we've held so dear or some things that we we, we have done and we once thought they were were essential are really not as essential as we once made them out to be. And so things, you know, might end up looking a little differently. And we may have more Facebook, pr- Facebook live prayer meetings than we once had. Right? We may come together in some different ways. I don't know. But what we must do is make sure that the building blocks we've spoken of today are kept in place. The word of God, prayer and worship, the constant challenge to live our lives as God's people in a distinct and holy way. And to do so as one people, united in our love for God and our love for one another. We're going to sing this song. We've sung it before. That says, let the church rise. And one of the reasons I I really like this song is because it became the anthem of, um, of, um, of a church down in, in, in New Orleans just after Hurricane Katrina hit down there. And their community and their church was devastated. And this song was written, written just before that hurricane hit. But as they were moving through the process of rebuilding, this became their anthem song. And I believe that it speaks so well for us where we are at today. Let me just read the words for us before we sing it.
it says this, speaking about the church, speaking about us today, we are alive, filled with your glorious life. Out of the dark into your marvelous light, we are waiting with expectations. Spirit, raise us up with you. Oh, moving with power, bringing your name to the earth, singing your praises, lifting up glorious songs. We're moving with his compassion. Spirit, fill our hearts with you. And so let the church rise from the ashes. Let the church fall to her knees. Let us be light in the darkness. Let the church rise. Let the church rise. Let me read it, that chorus again for us. Let the church rise from the ashes. Let the church fall to her knees. Let us be light in the darkness. Let the church rise. Let the church rise. I believe that's God's call to us today here at First Assembly. As we come through this pandemic, as we move into the future that God has for us, that the church of Jesus Christ here in this place would rise up to be all that he has called us to be and to do all that he has called us to do. Come on, would you stand with me, church? Those of you who are at home, maybe you want to stand as well. Would you lift your voices, lift your hands as we sing it together? Yes, Lord.